Our scripture this morning is from the book of Luke. It's Luke 4, 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his list. Is this Jesus's, Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed only name in the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So that's our scripture reading for today. David and Cindy are actually away this weekend at David's brother's wedding. Um, so I have the great pleasure of introducing our guest speaker, Ed Paz. Ed joins us from the Movement Church up in Oakland, which is also a church startup and is about five years old. And Ed and his wife, Rebecca, who's also joining us today, are good friends of David and Cindy, and they've been support, sources of support and wisdom on this journey of starting up Current. Um, Ed also serves on the faculty of the Redeemer City to City Bay Area Incubator. Let's give a warm welcome to Ed. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me today. Um, just to clear up a couple things before we jump in. Why is this dude wearing sunglasses? We're inside. Uh, it's kind of awkward. He's from Oakland. Is he really that cool where he's wearing sunglasses inside? Uh, unfortunately, about a month ago, uh, we were up in Portland and um, for some work, and I found myself having to go to the ER uh, while in Portland, uh, and something was wrong with my right eye. Uh, long story short, uh, caught some sort of effect, uh, infection called Pseudomonas. You can Google that if you know how to spell it. Out the uh, sight in my right eye. My right eye is totally blurred. I'm going to probably have to have a cornea transplant surgery. And um, so I'm wearing these glasses to limit the light coming in as well as I don't want to scare you away with how my right eye looks. Um, 
So that's what's going on with me. It's not a cool factor thing at all. At all. I actually never owned a pair of sunglasses my whole life until this incident happened. So now that that's out of the way, uh, I also want to say something in regards to your pastors, David and Cindy. They are awesome. They are awesome, and you are blessed. And when I heard that he basically preaches 90% of the year and doesn't get a break very often, I said, hey, if there's any way that I could ever help. And then he said, actually, so funny that you asked. It's my brother's wedding. And uh, this worked out. But uh, I am just so blessed. There's a lot of characteristics about them that I could just praise and affirm and hopefully encourage you to appreciate. But one of them in particular especially being church planters two years in, they find themselves in this incubator where they're learning about church planting, and they're actually the most um, seasoned church planters in this incubator, in this uh, learning community, and I think it's just a reflection of their heart of wanting to serve you better, of wanting to be more effective in ministry, and you know, not all pastors Uh, come to a place where, or keep themselves in a place of humility where they're constantly learning and seeking God for what's next for them. But you guys are blessed by your pastors, and so they're not here right now, but when maybe he listens to the audio, they could hear you giving him a round of applause, and them a round of applause right now. (laughs) Appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to jump into the message and the text we have Speaking from the title, Not Welcome Here, uh, interesting title for a guest speaker, but um, let me pray for us and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather and um, hear your word. We know in so many other places around the world, something like this isn't possible. People are hiding out um, to learn from the scriptures, and so God, we just take a moment before we, we go into another message and another church service to say thank you, Lord. We praise you for the freedom that we have uh, to learn from your word. And we ask, wherever we're at in our journey of faith from you, there may be some skeptics who are here today, folks who didn't know any of those songs and are wondering what, what's going on in this preacher with sunglasses, where am I? And God, I pray, and I know there's some saints, there's some people who know the scriptures in and out. There's some people who love you, Lord, with all of their hearts, and regardless of where we are all at today, gathered on the spectrum of faith, I pray in only the way that you can, that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to the things that you want us to see, and open up our ears to the things that you want us to hear God, we don't want to play church. We don't just want to listen to another message. We want to encounter you in these next few moments that we spend together. So we cry out to you and we ask you to do that work. And while I've got your attention, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would continue to have your hand over these Golden State Warriors. Lord, we love them and we thank you for what you're doing in this team. And we look forward to three championships in three years. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone who agrees says... Amen, amen. All of the non-Warriors fans are now just isolated and don't feel. But um, all right, here we go. Not welcome here. Speaking from Luke chapter 4, you guys are in this series walking through the book of Luke, and I'm excited about today. Uh, I have never heard a teaching about this passage before until having to study for it. I have never preached from this passage before, so this could either go... Um, 
mediocre or really bad. And so let's jump in first. I like to start off with a tension question. What question is this message going to answer that hopefully you find interesting to yourselves and uh, keeps you engaged for uh, the hour that we're going to be here? Just kidding. Um, The tension question that I'm going to ask and hopefully answer today is why do people reject Jesus? Why do people reject Jesus? And I think this is an important question to ask for two reasons. Why does this matter? Why should you pay attention? Number one, I think this matters because I don't want us to be frustrated or confused any longer about the family and friends that we know and love and why they reject Jesus. I want us to understand why. I think, say it this way, if we more clearly understand why people rejected Jesus back then, we won't be so frustrated when people reject Jesus today. And so I know as we uh, share the good news with others and as a brand new church start here in um, Silicon Valley, you are thinking to yourselves, man, why aren't more people receiving this message of good news and of grace? It's so good, but people are turning away from it. And I believe our text today answers that question. But it's not only for unbelievers why this message is important. The second reason why this matters, I think we should lean in and pay attention, is because if we understand why people rejected Jesus back then, we can also understand why why we at times reject Jesus. As believers, how many of you would agree at times we reject Jesus in our lives? Or is that just me? Am I the only kind of just Christian who rejects Jesus at times? Oh, no one raised their hands. It is just me. Okay, it's good. It's good. But it's, okay, God, I, I, I love you, and, and I know I need to place my faith in Jesus to have eternal life, but when it comes to my finances, I'm going to reject you. But when it comes to my dating relationships, no, you can't really have a word in, in that. When it comes to where I'm going to go to school, when it comes to how many hours I'm going to work every single week, no, you can't speak into that because i got to do me, and I've got to grind, and I've got bills to pay, and I've got assets to accumulate. And so, Jesus, you're good for grace and forgiveness of sins, but when it comes to certain areas, no thanks. And so this is not only a good message to understand why unbelievers reject Jesus, but I think it's also something we should pay attention to so we understand why we Modern-day believers reject Jesus as well. Are you guys with me so far? If you're okay, say I'm okay. Okay. And so let's look at this text. Let's jump right into it. We're going to go from beginning to end. Uh, Let's see. Jesus starts out here on the next slide. Jesus returned to Galilee. So Pastor David last week talked about the temptations in the wilderness. And commentators talk about this Return to Galilee. They call it the Galilean Spring, where, where Jesus did ministry in Galilee, and he actually did some miracles, and he had some influence during this time in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Remember, he, he wasn't in ministry until about 30 years old, so he comes onto the scene. It's kind of like a band on their first tour, and he's doing well. People are impressed with what he's bringing to the table. Uh, but Luke 
doesn't go into these miracles that he does in Galilee. Instead, he talks about at length what happens when he goes to his hometown. Everyone say, not welcome here. Let's take a look at what happens. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So here's Jesus going back home. I know many of you, you uh, maybe transplants from other parts of the country, other parts of California. It would be like you going back home to the church that you grew up in, the church where you got saved, the church where you got baptized. And here's Jesus going back home to his home church. Can you imagine going to church one day and Jesus himself is the preacher? <laughs> That's what happened on this day. Now, they didn't really know who Jesus was at the time, as you'll see, but this is what's going on. Jesus himself, God in a bod, as I've heard one pastor say, literally shows up on the scene to be the preacher that day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it he found the place where it is written. And so if you guys want to do some background study on this, he's actually reading from Isaiah 61, uh, verses like 1 and 2. Literal Old Testament, he's reading Isaiah 61. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now you would think this is Jesus um, just speaking about himself in the first person. Now, we know he is speaking about himself, but he's actually reading what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, was alluding to someone who would come, and the Spirit of the Lord would be on him because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Amen. Recovery of sight for the blind. Come on, somebody. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus reads these verses from Isaiah. Now, before we go forward, uh, poor, prisoners, blind, oppressed. Yes, in, in many ways, uh, the good news is for those people literally but to understand what Jesus is talking about, and we're going to come back to this slide uh, a little bit later, but let me break down what, what these categories are. So the poor are spiritually impoverished people, people who, don't, who aren't rich spiritually. Captives are those who are spiritually enslaved. They are enslaved to things that aren't of the Spirit of God. Blind isn't only physical blindness, but it's spiritual imperception. They cannot perceive spiritual things with their human eyes. And last but not least, oppressed, spiritually crushed. They are crushed and they are burdened by the things of this world and uh, don't know how to get themselves up out from under it. And so these are the categories that Jesus is speaking to, not just literal poor, blind, captive, oppressed but also, and more importantly, spiritual. So what happens after he breaks down this verse in Isaiah? Let's take a look. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And they were fastened on him because he actually leaves out a part of the text in Isaiah. He leaves out the part that talks about judgment and so this crowd is wondering, probably one, 
Why did he leave it out? What's going on? What's he going to say? And then Jesus says, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one who Isaiah was talking about. Every single week, you guys gather to read Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah, and I'm here to let you know, I'm that guy. It's me. It's me you've been looking for all your life. It's me. And uh, commentators, I've heard some commentators say that was his sermon. One sentence. Man, don't you wish pastors could be that succinct? One sentence. Others say he talked about other things. Uh, Luke did just not record these things. But on the next verse, we see what happens next. All spoke well of him. Because, look, it just goes from, I'm the one you've been talking about, mic drop, and then all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This one-sentence sermon, they were, wow, how did he do that? Lunch is going to be early today. We're amazed. But following their amazement is this key phrase. Let's read it all together in blue. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Wait a minute. This was a kid we saw running around, growing up. He's going to say, he's the guy? You mean Joseph's son? The one we saw, I mean, he had snot running out of his nose. You know, he was... I don't know. I mean, Jesus was perfect in all of his ways, but I think he had snot. I mean, come on now. You know, he's a regular kid, right? Wait a minute. He isn't this Joseph's son. Everything is going good until this point. Jesus shows up at the synagogue. He preaches. They're amazed, but then there's an issue with, with who he is. And Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Now, I just, maybe as, as Beth was reading the scripture, this is where I just lost it. Like, what is going on here? So they ask, isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus says this. What the heck is Jesus talking about? Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Seems like Jesus got salty really fast. Like all they did was ask you a simple question. Isn't this Joseph's son? And and you you got mad, it seems like here. What is what is going on? And I, I kind of just summarize it on this next slide here. What, what did Jesus perceive? Though they were amazed by his gracious words, they were more interested in his miraculous works. Now, how do we know this? Well, Jesus says, you're going to quote a parable to me, and, if, and, it, and it's about a physician, and if you're a physician, and if I'm going to believe that you're a physician, let me see you heal yourself. So he was perceiving what his hometown family and friends were thinking. Now, what does this have to do with why people reject Jesus? Well, let me give you a summary of what has happened so far. I know we're moving pretty quickly here. Jesus comes home. Jesus preaches. The people respond. And then Jesus perceives some sort of problem. Because he says, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. You guys want me to do magic tricks 
Something's off here. Now, I'm going to read through the rest of this account. I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to explain it, because this is where it goes sideways really fast. And I want you to see if you could catch why it goes sideways. Let's take a look. He says next, now this is on the heels of him saying, a prophet is not welcome in his own town. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath or whatever that is, in the region of Sidon. He goes on to say, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. He tells two stories, and look what happens next. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Matrix, stealth mode, ghost, I don't know what he did, but he escaped. Okay, so I just, this question, what just happened? Let's just say that together. What just happened? One minute they're amazed. It's their hometown hero, Archie Joseph's son. Maybe they're amazed because he didn't answer the question directly. He just told two stories. But he tells two stories, and now they want to kill him. All he did was tell two stories, and they take him to a cliff to throw him off. Keep in mind, these are his family and friends. This is his hometown church. Can you imagine going to your hometown church, telling two stories, and then they take you to a cliff? What just happened? It's in understanding why Jesus tells these two stories that we can understand why people reject Jesus. Because Jesus tells these two stories, and the people who knew him best rejected him and actually wanted to kill him. The key question is why? Why? So let's take a look at these two stories, provide three applications, and give you an opportunity to respond. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. He's um, going back to an account in 1 Kings. When Elijah was the prophet, and there was no rain, and there was no water. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of the widows in Israel. There were plenty of widows in Israel who who needed food, who needed water. But God sent him to this widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, that's important because what you need to understand about that is this is a place that's not in Israel. This is a Gentile people, non-Israelites, God's non-chosen race. So God sent Elijah, the prophet of Israel, to to a non-Israelite woman. Not only that, but this area here is where Jezebel hails from. Now, for those of you who may be new to Bible study, Jezebel just wasn't really the gal that, you know, you would recommend to your single son. I mean, Jezebel, yeah, I mean, the name speaks, it's it's Jezebel for crying out loud. And Jezebel's dad wasn't a great guy either. 
But out of all the widows that you send your prophet to, you're going to send him to the widow who's where Jezebel's from. So that's the first story. And then he tells the second story. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so here's another period in time, and here's the next prophet, Elisha, many with leprosy, but instead of sending the prophet of Israel to the Israelite folks with leprosy, he sent him to the Syrian guy with leprosy, which is a non-Israelite. He was a commander of an army. And in the story with Elijah and the widow, he sends, God sends him to her. You're going to read about this in groups this week. Uh, Pastor David had me prepare some discussion questions, and you're going to get into these stories in a deeper way. Hopefully you attend. How many of you are in groups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you guys are really excited about groups. Um, Get in group, attend group this week. I think there'll be good discussion around these stories um, a little bit deeper. But basically, the long and short of it is the widow that Elijah is sent to gives the last of what she has to Elijah. And that is how her food is multiplied. Naaman, what happens in this situation is Naaman, who's a commander in an army, Elisha says, okay, to cleanse yourself from your leprosy, Go dunk yourself in the water seven times. And Naaman's like, and the guy, Elisha didn't even come out to like talk to Naaman. He just said, go tell him that I said to go dunk in the water. And Naaman is like, he's like, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? But Naaman humbly goes to uh, the river there and he dunks himself in and he's healed. So he tells these two stories. Let me help you out, summarize it here. So why were they so upset? Why were they so upset? They were offended that Jesus would compare them to a poor Gentile woman or a leprous Gentile commander. They were upset because these Israelites sitting in the synagogue, remember Jesus said, I've come to bring good news to the poor, the captives, the oppressed, the blind. And they're like, yeah, 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 do some miracles. And Jesus says, no, I need to put you in your place. And he tells a story about a poor Gentile woman and a commander Gentile man. Uh, what's, so what's the idea here? Well, okay, why do people reject Jesus? Well, let me make this point here. Why did Jesus tell these stories? To show that it's only when you see yourself as poor, captive, blind, or oppressed that you can be saved. He told these stories because he felt his hometown crowd missing it. You don't see yourselves as blind, oppressed, captive, poor. So I'm going to tell two stories about the type of people that I saved. The type of people that my heart is drawn towards. And because Jesus compared to people that they look down on, to people that they wouldn't ever compare themselves with, they wanted to kill him. So back to the top. Why do people reject Jesus? Why do people reject Jesus? Why do your friends reject Jesus? Why do your family members reject Jesus? Why at certain points, maybe some people in this room, I know not everyone's a believer in this room. You're here because someone said, I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. I don't know. 
There's some cute guys. There's some cute girls. Come to the church. Check it out. I don't know what the reason is. But why do we reject Jesus? I summarized it this way in our takeaway. People reject Jesus ultimately because he provides a cure for a disease they can't admit they have. He provides a payment for a debt they don't believe they possess. You guys following me here today? Those hometown friends and family of Jesus skipped right over the fact that he said, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. And instead of saying what the response should have been was, I need you, Jesus. I need this good news because I am poor, I am blind, I am oppressed. But instead of responding with need, they responded with, show me some magic tricks. I don't don't need salvation. I don't need you to heal me of all my spiritual inadequacies. I need you to make my life more comfortable now by, I don't know, do one of those tricks you did in Galilee. I want to give you three applications to this text, uh, and, and we'll be done. Application number one, when it comes to how we pray for our unbelieving friends and family members, you know, it's not going to be you sharing this Facebook post of Dr. David Jeremiah, like breaking down, you know, the, the text in any, no. What they need is they need spiritual eyes to perceive their spiritual bankruptcy and the humility to repent. We need to be praying that our unsaved family members and friends receive spiritual eyes to see what their natural eyes can't perceive. Are you with me? People aren't calling out to God for His grace and His mercy because at the end of the day, they think He's solving a problem that they don't have. See, as it relates to my eye and this whole eye thing, right, I, I am going to the doctor whenever I am called, and I'm taking all the medicines that she is prescribing me because I know I have this problem. So I freely say, yes, please, heal, do whatever, I will do whatever. You, I come to you in repentance, in humility, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it. But why don't we do this with God? Because we feel, okay, you're good for salvation. I get that. But I don't need you for all these other areas of my life. Spiritual eyes to see. This is how uh, we should apply this as we pray for friends and family members. Now, let's talk about us really quickly. Got to keep it moving here. Avoid becoming spiritually middle class. You're familiar, uh, I believe it's called the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's the same Greek word that's used with the poor that Jesus is saying in this passage here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. I ain't got nothing. There is no good works that I could present before God that could put me in right standing with Heavenly Father God. I am spiritually broke. But what happens? Maybe we say that at the point of salvation, but as time goes along in our Christian walk, we become spiritually middle class. Oh, Jesus, you're good for salvation, but 
but I got this parenting thing. I'll, I'll take care of it. I, I'm going to be spiritually middle class. I, I, got some, I got some good deeds here. I, I could take care of uh, evangelizing to my friends. I got it. I, I don't need you because I've gone to Bible college. I've read some Bible studies. I've, I've, I've given to you uh, 50 weeks in a row. I am spiritually middle class now. I have checked off the box on my Bible reading plan for 35 consecutive days. You version is so proud of me. I go to group. I even post on Instagram verse pictures, pictures of the verses. I am spiritually middle class. So I don't need you as it relates to my finances. Are you kidding me? Dave Ramsey, I don't need you, God. I've got Dave Ramsey. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Dave Ramsey. I got you as it relates to my relationships. There's books, there's Google, there's so many things. And so let me bring this slide back up to your attention. And let's, let's talk about you for just a minute. Where have you ceased to see yourself as spiritually impoverished? Do you think your good deeds are making you more right with God than Jesus' righteousness has made you right with God? Let me say that one more time. When you placed your faith in Jesus, you were gifted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we're acceptable before God. Can any of your good works outdo Jesus' righteousness? Turn to your neighbor and say, no, no. Oh, you guys aren't convinced. No, say no with conviction. No. I'm glad you're coming to service today, but you coming to service today does not add to Jesus' righteousness. But sometimes we think it does, and so we, we poke our nose up in the air, and we look down at people who don't attend service. We look down on people who don't have the faith that we have. Excuse me, where did the faith that you have come from? Did you conjure up that faith on your own? It came from Jesus as a gift. Or do you see yourself spiritually enslaved? Some of you have besetting sins that you can't get away from. You're angry, like all the time. You're prideful. You have an issue with internet pornography. You have talked to your spouse in ways that you would be disgusted by if it was put on a screen here. But if the truth be told, you're not seeing that as spiritual enslavement. You're seeing it as something that you could actually rescue yourself from. Like, like the crowd there in that day, you wouldn't cry out to Jesus when he says, I have come to proclaim good news to the captive. You would say, I'm not captive. I'm in America. I'm free. I can do what I want. Spiritually imperceptive. Some of you, you don't know how to handle and talk to certain people and deal with the political climate that we're going through and all this craziness because you aren't spiritually perceiving the way you should go about doing it. But you've got a degree and you've got Google and you've got books. You become spiritually middle class and you're actually trying to do it your own way. But maybe we need to remind ourselves and say, man, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, I can't see anything that God wants me to see spiritually crushed. Many of you have had tough situations in your life and it just weighs you down. And 
Are you seeing yourself as spiritually crushed or, you know what, I'm just going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps and get myself out of this mess. Last application and we're done. Repent. Repent lest we become like that hometown crowd who would hear two stories like this and take Jesus away to throw him off a hill. We are, just so you know, in this story, we are the hometown crowd. Please don't see yourself in the story like, yeah, I'm like that widow. (laughs) I'm so like that widow. I would give the last of what I have. I'm so glad I'm like that widow. Stop it. No. Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I'm just like Naaman. I would have ducked myself in the water seven times, no doubt about it. No, Jesus tells this story to remind us of the spiritual poverty. Why do you think the Scriptures teach us? It is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I think he says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because he knows when we have money, when we have means, it's hard for us to see our spiritual poverty. Why? Because we could buy ourselves out of most problems. Let's just be honest. If you have a problem, you could pay for a solution. How many times have you paid for, you went to a book, you went to Google, you went to wherever needed to go when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was was there, the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave was living on the inside of you, yet you went to the natural thing. Why is it that many people in third world countries and those who are impoverished come to Christ more easily? Because it makes sense to them. But in America, all this money, all this means, Silicon Valley, are you kidding me? It just doesn't make sense to us. Some of you, you're not just spiritually middle class. You're spiritually rich. And don't clap for that. That ain't cool. You don't want to be spiritually rich. We want to be broke in the sight of Jesus because it's then and only then that we receive the grace that God has given us. Now, maybe some of you, jeez. Guy comes all the way at Oakland, come all the way from Oakland, make me feel bad about myself. I thought I loved Jesus. Now, man, I just realized I thought I was cool because I was spiritually rich. Here's the good news. This is the gospel. Remember that phrase? Isn't this Joseph's son? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that heaven's son became Joseph's son. He who knew no sin, heaven's son, became Joseph's son, became sin, so that we might have the righteousness of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He counted counted being with God and equal with God, equality with God, nothing. And he came down and he humbled himself. The good news is, is we could be forgiven today of our pride of our arrogance. Why? Because Jesus came in humility once and for all. And when we realize Jesus came in humility for us, we can come humbly before Him. So my question to you today as we close, and I'm going to do this because 
who knows if David ever invites me back. So I just, it's, who could, it could be my last few moments here. I think there are some of you in this room who need to repent. If you're not a believer in Jesus, well, I'll talk to you in a minute if you're not a believer in Jesus. But for believers first, some of you, you have not seen yourself as spiritually broke. You've not seen yourself as desperate. It's Jesus plus my education. Jesus plus my wealth. Jesus plus my logic. Jesus plus my upbringing. There just hasn't been a, I don't have anything if I don't have Jesus, Christ crucified. And so if that's you, and I'm not even going to do the whole with every head bowed and every eye closed thing. Like, and this isn't some hocus pocus. Like, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you, it's not Ed. You, you feel like, man, this is me. This dude's like reading my mail. I feel like he was at my house this last week and knows what I've been thinking. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're here today and you would say, man, I want to receive grace. I've been living spiritually middle class, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to stop rejecting Jesus in all the ways that I've rejected Jesus. If that's you, I just want to invite you to stand and just say, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and pray that God would pour out his grace in your life in a fresh way. If it's you, no hocus pocus, let me tell you, nothing's actually magical happening when you stand. Nothing magical is happening right now. But what is happening is your act of standing is the act of humility. Some of you, you're not standing right now because you're prideful. And I'm looking at you, but you can't tell because I got sunglasses on. So I'm going to give one more chance. Anyone else? It's me. I think if Jesus had come and said that thing, I would be like those people and take them to the hill to be thrown off. Last call, maybe, you know, you're here and you've been coming to this church for a while. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you would say, oh, my gosh, I went so over my time. I'm sorry. I just realized it's 1137. Sorry. But you realize uh, I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm spiritually broke. I need to give my life to Jesus. If there's anyone, if you could stand at this time too, may want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, anybody? Praise God. I think that young man stood up there. Praise God. Anybody else? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the humility in this room, Lord. I thank you that Joseph's son... God's son became Joseph's son so that we might have forgiveness of sin. And so, Lord, I pray that no one would leave here today feeling condemned. No one would leave here today feeling as if because I have not lived spiritually broke that God condemns me. No, through our faith in Jesus, we are justified. Through our faith in Jesus, we are made righteous. But, God, I pray for a fresh measure of your Holy Spirit power to pour out humility on current church, Lord, in Jesus' name. That people from all over this valley would come to this community of faith and realize, oh my gosh, I fit in here because there are other poor, captive, oppressed, blind people just like me. I fit in here. God, I pray for humility to reign in this place because when humility comes, God opposes the proud. 
but he gives grace and mercy to the humble. Thank you for the humility in this room, Lord. I pray that you would bless this fellowship. Bless David and Cindy, God. May you pour out your blessing and favor in their life in fresh ways in this next season of their ministry. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.